Hello and welcome to Cherry STEM 2.0. We are here uh, with Dyer Hawk and Doge, and of course, my lovely co host, Richard Rall. And we will be uh, picking up where we left off on the uh, salacious uh, and sometimes sexy uh, STEM conversations, uh, including as well as tech and uh, gaming, uh, which we all happen to be big fans of. And so uh, this week we are having a conversation with Doge and Dyerhawk, who uh, just spent some time at the SVVR conference in San Jose, which is a uh, virtual reality sort of uh, Expo, and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing what uh, they witnessed there, and uh, in general how the event went. So um, I guess just to prime you guys and and to, to give us a little bit of an understanding of what the event was like. Um, how many days was the event? Was it like a one day thing, or was it multiple days? And is it was it like a regular convention? If if you could just give a brief description of the the sort of logistics of the conference, that would be uh, I think uh, interesting for our viewers. Go ahead. I'll, well, I can leave that up to Brian. All I can contribute, I'll contribute. I think it was three days. Yeah, it was a three-day thing uh, in Silicon Valley. Silicon Valley VR Expo, hence v SVVR. And it was from March 29th to the 31st in the San Jose Convention Center. So was it like panels um, or talks, or how was they the format? Yeah, they had both of those. So they had like, um, there were panel discussions. I didn't go to any of them. Um, I think Jonathan, didn't you go to some? Yeah, yeah, I went to uh, some of the the panels. Oh, what yeah. else was there, Brian, uh, besides panels? Or what well, did you just the main, your time doing? Well, the main event was basically the the I guess you'd call it the exhibition floor or the show floor, and then where there was a big it was a big space with lots of booths deva devoted to various developers and companies that were showing off technology or they were showing off uh, new headsets or they were showing off virtual reality experiences or maybe they had other things they bring to the table. There was a lot of different things. For example, there was a section on uh, using virtual reality as a method of uh, uh, wellness, sort of like um, for things like meditation or yoga or whatever. There were there were some people that were showing off uh, virtual reality sound systems, like made to make the sound better. You know, um, there was a little hey, fuck those guys. They're 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 infringing on my patent. Go go ahead anyway. Sorry. The virtual sound. Yeah, I have I have a patent on it that's um, almost fifteen years old. Really? Oh. Yep. And they're completely violating that patent, but uh, there's not much I can do about it. Do you know? Um, well, I don't know because I didn't try it out. Because to be, to be honest, while I was there, I was like not interested in the sound. Um, I figured that I would probably just focus on the visual stuff. So I don't even know if it's if, how good it was, if at all. Like it might have, it might not be like yours, but but yeah, there was that. And there was even I don't know. It was just showing like a lot of the ways in which various developers were taking advantage of. This, um, I wouldn't call it new because it's been around for a while, but this sort of, you know, growing um, enterprise. And they were basically all doing different things with it. Some people were doing gaming experiences, obviously. Uh, some people were doing entertainment, virtual tourism, uh, virtual conferences, social media. And even was like it I said, for general world. audience, or was it because uh, a lot of times you know you got those uh, you got consumer electronic shows, but then you have like the conferences that are geared towards like the d developers who are like, you know developing yeah. an industry. You like know? it's like a, a circle jerk kind of thing, like a wank fest. <laughs> um, well, well, on one hand, you can have something like a trade show. I think like a like a AVN, for instance, or an Exotica, where you have exhibitors who are showing the general public their wares, and it's uh, open to the general public. Versus, yeah. you can have something like. Um, uh, I guess the the EA or something like that, where only like journalists and uh, developer uh, inner circle sort of people are invited. So I guess we're just trying to determine which yeah, one. Yeah, with you know, with it being in Silicon Valley, a lot of times it's going to be you know people who are like, hey, use this you know piece of software for your development, and that's what they're trying to sell there. And it's like, and I was just wondering if it's if it's mixed or if it's kind of uh, it's both you know selling to the public as well as to you know developers and shit like that. Well, I would actually say that it was mixed, but there was an awful lot of um, companies. Remember, this is these are new industries, new companies out there, so they've been looking for uh, you know more funding for their projects. So they're looking for uh, what's that? 
Sorry, it's uh, the Claptrap's uh, little uh, dance uh, oh. song that he does, which is my 420 alarm. Sorry about that. Oh. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there were a lot of, you know, uh, booths are looking for angel investors uh, to further fund their projects and stuff. But um, there was a lot of, you know, bigger names there. Of course, Oculus, Oculus was there. Um, Vive didn't have, like, their own booth. Vi uh, Oculus did. But uh, a lot of the booths were also using the Vive platform. And then there was all these third-party um, hardware, piece of hardware that were being developed supporting the Oculus and the Vive, um, like um, devices that you would stick on your shoe, that shoes that would, like, say, track your, your legs. Um, there was um, uh, a body suit that you could get that is, like, a $300 suit that you could put on and you could use it for body full body tracking. Um, there was a lot of, uh, social, um, VR, um, uh, vendors there that were, um, you know, pushing their social platform. So there was high fidelity was there. Alt space was there. Um, there was another one. It was more built on, um, I guess art. So it was kind of like, you know, you enter a social platform and it's a place where you create and stuff. But they're building an entire city that you can explore in that. You can spray paint wa walls, and you can go into spaces, and you can create art in that. Yeah, it was called Hypatia, I think. Yeah, Hypatia. Uh, and then there was an awful lot of – because this is, like, one of the first rounds of the whole thing. So the big thing was uh, – because they're just learning about how to, you know, create the physics and how to tell stories and stuff. But the first round of games that – you know, there was a lot of games that were based on shooters. There's a lot of shooter type games. Mm -hmm. So like one such thing was Project Alice VR. Their thing was like a, was a haptic glove so that you can interact and you can get your hands in there. But what they were using it on was like a kind of a, I think it was a shooter, wasn't it? I think you got to, you, you, I you got, got to, to try it. There were two different um, Alice VR projects. I didn't get to try the shooting one. There was another one that was more like a proof of concept demo thing that let you touch and interact with things. And they, there were gloves, but um, I wouldn't say they were haptic because it, it, you didn't feel anything. Like, isn't no. that what haptics is, where it's supposed to simulate the touch sensation? Yeah, it's yeah. what you get when you press uh, your touch phone. Uh, theoretically, yeah. you get that pushback. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't do that. However, what it did do was it responded to your hands. Essentially, your hands became like another kind of controller, and you could use it to do things um, to interact with the environment. So, for example, one of the things I remember was uh, there were balloons. You could inflate a balloon, and then you could like hold it in your hand and throw it up in the air. There were blocks you could stack, you know, and you could use your hands to grab them. But it wasn't it wasn't always super responsive. But that was the idea you know, that you were supposed to be able to grab these objects. But when you would grasp for them, because it didn't have pushback or, or haptics in the glove, you were grabbing at the air, you could tell, but you were hoping that there would be some kind of a click that would happen between your real self and the virtual object that you were looking at. Yeah. So. I mean, then there was other technology, like there was one vendor that was, um, uh, she, or they, their company created this, um, kind of augmented reality type toy. So you have these. Oh, yeah. That's right. And they, yeah, they snap together and you can customize and make these different types of characters and stuff with all these interchangeable body parts. And then when you put your iPad or something in front of it and that, it brings that character kind of like look through a look, looking glass thing or whatever. And then it creates this world around it. And there's kind of like this mixed reality type thing going on. So that was there. There's a lot of stuff from Japan. Um, there's a yeah. hologram. That yeah, was... a little section to themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, they were segregated. <laughs> well, I think they kind of segregated themselves. Yeah, they were. They, they were. They segregated themselves because they. They all. They didn't speak much in the way of English, and I think they mm -hmm. wanted to talk to each other. Except there was one Japanese booth that was all by itself because it was kind of big. It was that one. I think it was called Shoryu or something like that. Or no, Hado is what it is. And um, it's like an augmented reality game where you throw, you shoot balls at each other and you got to like block them and stuff and try to get, it's like two teams. And I guess it's like dodgeball or something. Yeah. Uh, but I never played it because I just watched what other people were doing and I was like, I, I don't think I can do that. But it looked, well, it looked kind of fun. 
one demo that I, you had to sign up to, um, you couldn't just kind of go in. They, they were the only one that actually had a booth. It was completely like a sealed box you had to go into because they were trying to keep everything kind of sealed and they didn't want the press in there and they didn't want their competition in there. It was Meta 2 with their uh, augmented reality uh, glasses. I wanted to go in there because I had done a pre-order because I want to use augmented reality for um, judging my scale of my 3D models that I want to bring into VR. Because one problem I've had was that I've noticed when creating VR worlds is take things that we take for granted, like furniture and stuff like that. The furniture is always out of scale. You go in there and you could have a couch that's like up to your waist or tables that are, you know, the wrong scale to your characters. So I wanted to be able to overlay um, my models that I'm modeling that I have on my computer, but have it so it's modeled and then, you know, overlaid into the real world so I can compare it to real objects. So I was very interested in seeing that. And I tell you, I was blown away by that thing. It literally was going into Star Wars. I mean, Is that it, the one with the lightsaber and the, and the robots? Yeah, it, it was like the holograms that you would see were just like amazing. So Oh, that was the augmented reality thing that you... Uh, yeah, yeah, it was the Meta 2 thing. Yeah. Well, between but, that and the uh, the finger controllers you guys are talking about, I mean, this is, sounds like we're headed into uh, Minority Report uh, territory. Yeah. So what was it yeah. called? Uh, because I'm, I'm curious what the uh, the glasses look like. Uh, it's the Meta 2. If you do a search on Meta 2, it's... Uh, 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 there's a, one of the founders, he is uh, a neuroscientist. He's got his PhD in neuroscience. And they formed their whole company around the concept of neuroscience. And... Their goal is to replace uh, TV monitors, computer screens with wearing AR um, headsets so that um, your information is now mixed with, with um, your space that you're sitting in your office or whatever not, and you can actually grab the, you know, the three-dimensional, you know, or the information and you can stretch it and manipulate it kind of like an Iron Man. So that's, that's what their mission statement is. That's their goal. Yeah. And I would say that the Meta 2 over trying the um, the Microsoft HoloLens, I know Brian's tried the HoloLens. Uh, Wait, have I? <laughs> yeah, you you, tr you did try the HoloLens. It wasn't a HoloLens booth, but one of the um, one of the experiences at one of the booths was using a HoloLens. Oh, okay. It was the one where you had to they had like a a, a character or a guy and but to see him to see the whole guy, you had to kind of move your head oh, up yeah. and down. I know the one. Yeah. Yeah. So he, he was the, it was in one of the Japanese booths. Yeah, and he couldn't fit completely in your field of view, so you had to move yeah. your head around to get it. Yeah, because of the glasses, the lens on the glasses was just the size of glasses, so that would mean that you know if you think about it like this, you're wearing a pair of glasses and you don't tilt your head down and look down, but instead you just direct your eyeballs down and you might look below the lens, right? Because a lens is yeah. only a certain size. Well, if you do that, you because this thing isn't big enough to like encompass your entire uh, field of vision, then yeah. the augmented reality is is cut off. It basically gets, you're only seeing a part of it. So this meta too, because I'm on the website now, it's made that it's rounded it's like kind of large, but it's rounded in front of you. So if you look down, you're still looking at that. It within the field of, of view, the Meta 2 takes up the entire field of view. So yeah. that gives it a, an enormous edge over the Microsoft uh, yeah. Microsoft one. The the differences between the two, though, um, they both have plus and minuses. Me, I want you know the ability to have you know a full immersive experience, and I want you know the capabilities of the highest you know experience and graphics possible, and that means it's a tethered experience right now. They're working on a wireless, um, you know, I don't know if it's going to be an add-on or if it's going to be the Meta 3 or what it is, but um, so I opted for the the Meta 2 over the, uh, plus it's half the price. But when you go to Microsoft HoloLens, it's like twice the price and it doesn't have the field of view, but it's completely um, autonomous. It's got its own onboard computer, but you're limited to what what that uh, headset can actually render and you know process, so it's going to have, you know, limited functionality. So, hmm. so I mean, you basically have to kind of choose what, you know, the system that will work best for whatever idea you have, what platform you're building for. So, 
that, that leads into actually one of the uh, the questions I had. If you guys could, if it's possible to summarize uh, or at least to divide up the floor, uh, the convention floor, like what was the predominant, uh, what were the groups that were predominantly represented? Was it like gaming? Was it social? Was it like, what was the, the biggest sort of um, element would, in, in the VR community? I would say social. Hmm. I would say social. Everywhere you looked, it was social. Um, even even platforms that weren't specifically talking about social, it was about the idea of um, like there was this one booth, and um, it was the ability to be able to do say presentations and stuff, and uh, have people hop into their into their VR headset, and you can use a web camera, and it will overlay a silhouette of you onto a virtual stage. And when they go into this thing, you'd be sitting in the audience taking in the lecture. Hmm. That would be like a social thing. And the person, another person that would be in there um, being part of that whole thing would be able to, you know, have a chat with you and they'd be beside you. So that's another social thing, but it wasn't purely intended just to go there to hang out with people, but you could talk with other people. There is some, um, yeah, collaborative spaces and stuff. I think that's like the yeah. been the big thing that they've been kind of going towards. Hey, uh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure I've asked this before, but have you seen the Sword Out Online um, anime? Yes. Yeah. So, so I'm I'm curious if they had any uh, connection between like brainwave scanning and VR. Did you notice any of that technology crossover there? I didn't see anything on brainwave scanning, but that might be next year. <laughs> Yeah, because I mean, I mean, my favorite uh, headset. There's this uh, a TED talk we can put in the low bar, or whatever. Where I mean, it, where a person's never even used it before was able to using their mind move an object around on the screen. I mean, and it, and it just it it like quickly was able to read a brand new person and you know thinking left, thinking right, and moving things around. And and this is something that like normally whenever you're reading, um, you know, reading brainwaves, it's like it's uh, there's the difficulty of getting the all of the the uh, electrodes on your head you know you got to put this conducting gel stuck to your it's just a huge pain in the butt but, they, but the uh the people at emotive emotiv uh created a, a helmet that you just put it on you just poof put it on and it, it you know instantly picks up your brain waves and and uh without all the the nonsense so you know putting those together i mean i, I know there's already a development kit out there i'm surprised that nobody's put those those two uh, you know things together yet cool yeah we i didn't actually see anything about that although i have heard of it and i'm glad you brought it up because i can see you know broad applications like the big thing right now is coming up with a way to kind of interface because in these vr spaces because we can't see our keyboards anymore and we're used to keyboards and mice so if you can interface directly with your mind or um yeah it's gonna be far superior yeah, you're you're going to be able to flip through information and do all kinds of things just through thought alone. So yeah, the funny um, thing is because it's reading brainwaves, uh, like. Uh, I've used a neurofeedback device before where you uh, you try to control things on the screen using your brain waves and and there's a practice to it. If you practice long enough, you can get better at it. And um, and the funny thing is, I think there's going to be uh, as once this this new you know technology is uh, advanced where people are using brain waves to interface with VR spaces there's going to be a whole new generation of people who have trained their brain on manipulating their own brain waves for the purpose of interfacing with you know virtual reality and, and there's there'll be a generation of people who are just superior to you know even even those of us who who really embraced all of computer technology have lived deeply with you know computer technology and they'll still kind of have this like advantage over us and because of course gaming will go that direction and everything it's uh like i said i'll have to um I have to send you this this TED talk, or at least put it in the low bar, because it's it's really neat uh, to to watch the whole thing, how how well it works, and how it's uh, and, and being able to see that it's it's going to go that way. You know, it is. Well, you know, I mean, I see this as kind of like a triathlon. I mean, the first horses have kind of like gone out the gates and that, and of course, gaming and all that stuff's come out there. And education's another big one, but you know, the next you know, set of horses that are going to come out would be the ones that are researching this technology and also, you know, further developments of, you know, um, haptic devices and eye tracking technology and these things. So when you have the first horses that are talking about education or maybe re-education 
and um, entertainment and all these other things, you know, there's going to be a, a point where, you know, they kind of, you know, converge. And I can imagine, take, for instance, the brain stuff you're talking about, what kind of things they're going to come up with, say, for education. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, and not only that, yeah. the, the number of applications, because imagine a person who's, I mean, okay, like I'll, I'll watch my parents, you know, you put a, put a game controller in a, in a, a older person's hand. And yeah. just, you know, they could be a skilled individual even, and they just kind of fumble at it. You know, they don't, and, and that's a, that's a pretty, pretty straightforward system. Yeah. Uh, and, they, you know, or, or they have a problem just, you know, manipulating a mouse. And it seems like, wow, I've seen you do you know, find things with your hands that take a lot of, you know, skill, but somehow you can't figure out how to use a mouse. I, I it, you know, it's kind of hard to, because, you know, you've been using a mouse like most of your life. And so you, you know, adapted to it kind of younger than an older generation. It's, so it's kind of hard to, to see that. And I, I think that, that, you know, we'll end up kind of seeing those, those sorts of uh, weirdness as well, because it, you know, the, the amount of training that they'll be able to get from a very early age at manipulating their, you know, their interface device being their brain. And so well, that, I, I think that's really going to be neat. Well, what I see is like, you know, as our technology advances, it advances in, in complexity, but on the surface, its pr purpose goal is to simplify the user interface so that these tools become more intuitive and don't ha have a, a, a shallower and shallower learning curve to the point where, you know, it seems to be that it's evolving to be where it just, you know, innate. They're trying to build human systems for, for computers so that we just intuitively do it because that's how humans actually, you know, work. And that's, I mean, that's part of my passion and interest for VR because, um, you know, you know, we use our whole, our whole bodies in there. We get to, you know, um, interact with our information instead of, you know, have to you learn systems to figure out how to interact with it. We can yeah, I mean, it's, the thing is it, it, it'll be there'll be a level of in, intuition. I mean, the, the, you know, the uh, you know, mouse and things like that. They have a level of uh, of of intuitive to them. But then there's using a mouse to be a a, a you know a pro level gamer. You know, there's a yeah. there's two, you know there's intuitive and then there's specialized. You know, you, you should be able to create devices that are that are intuitive certainly, but uh, but then once they are intuitive, there's uh, the ability to specialize and get better with it. And and uh, I guess that that's uh, you know one of those things going on, you know, all the way back to the the freaking matrix when they're talking about yeah. uh, his well look his, his neural connects are off the chart. You know, whereas apparently it's the idea is his interface with you know the the uh, network was you know like off the chart and, and I, I think you'll see that same thing uh with these systems you know uh i going back i mean i, I was interested in vr like like i said i mean I, I have a patent on a virtual reality headset it's almost 15 years old now and uh and you know and like the, the other thing that uh that interests me is the, is uh they they have not yet perfected volumetric displays what i mean by that is that is the the common sense idea of like a, a hologram that you would see in front of you in space uh in, you know and i've actually developed a system to do that but you know it, it was just like you know when i developed my uh the um <laughs> the VR, the thing, you know, from 15 years ago, there just wasn't a market for anybody to, you know, to, to even listen to me. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm stuck at that same point again now. It's like, oh, here's another invention where, you know, maybe 15 years from now, somebody will actually be doing this. But uh, it's, you know, I, 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 I can share your passion about the whole VR and technological uh, advancement stuff. So I, I'm really uh, enjoying hearing about this. Well, you have you heard of uh, the company Magic Leap? No, I don't think so. Well, magically, uh, they haven't, you know, leaked a lot of information of, you know, how far they are along on this. But f from what I have seen, um, I mean, there's a lot of buzz on Magic Leap right now. But what they've been working on is, I, it looks like it's volumetric type stuff, but it's to do with um, augmented reality type stuff. And uh, I don't know what they're using, but they're somehow kind of refracting they're they're kind of projecting the 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 image data into the through the glass itself that's in front of you so there it's some sort of a prism technology but it sounds like you know um you know volumetric kind of way of displaying information <laughs> i can't go into great detail with it but i'm just saying that it 
it sounds kind of like what you're you're getting at with that. So you know, yeah. there are still people working on this. They know that that's well. What I mean, a lot of the displays they do. There, there's a, there's a variety of ways in which they try to do it with uh, you know, with like for instance, just the uh, going all the way back to those. Um, I remember video games, you know, 10 years ago, no shit longer ago than that, where they, well, they, what they would have is a, uh, is a typical illusionist trick of a, like a half silvered mirror uh, set at a, at an angle. And so it's actually reflecting something that's below, uh, you know, a, that's, that's below the surface and you're, but you're looking at it and because it's at an angle, the way that the light plays on it, it looks like it's in three dimensions, but it's because it's the way that it's being projected on a surface. And, uh, and, and that is, is one thing, but what I'm talking about is literally like being able to produce an image in midair, uh, you know, without any, without any kind of, there was one that you could like sweep your hand through. And in fact, I could actually oh, I yeah, make it I like have haptic feedback. Yeah. Well, what it says here for Magic Leap is what they're attempting to do. What it is attempting is a head-mounted virtual retina display, which superimposes, oh. yeah, which superimposes 3D computer-generated gener imagery over real-world objects. So it projects in your retina. Oh, that's yeah, that's neat. Um, I've been wondering how that would work because you know, of course, you, you you'd have to. Um, you you wouldn't be able to look around uh, because uh, you you know your eye would be you know if we if you looked to, you know towards the source so yeah I'd, I'd be curious to check that out too but uh, it, it seemed, did they have anything like that at the um, at the show no but everybody a lot of the people I were talking about there was whispers about Magic Leap you know they're all want to know what what's going on there because yeah what if it's just hype so this, unfortunately a lot of times it turns out when they're keeping it secret and stuff like that that there's there's more hype than uh than within reality there and that's uh, yeah you, know, you never know it's like because sometimes they, they deliver sometimes it's just hype another one is apple apple's the only company left that hasn't said anything about vr other than it's interesting and it's funny because in the 90s they actually have a patent themselves on virtual reality. So they've been very hush-hush. I suspect that what they're gonna be working on is more AR-related stuff and their cell phones. So you'll see cell phones with multiple cameras on them and um, for picking up you know, the data they need for AR-related stuff. So that's what I suspect. I think they're going the AR route, personally. Yeah, it seems like augmented reality is a is, is the way to go. I mean, uh, there's uh, there's there's so many different ways in which that can be played out. Like uh, an, another one of my favorite animes, what was that called? It was a uh, Eden of the East, uh, where they kind of did this uh, you know sort of uh, augmented reality thing where you could uh, get information about the things that you were viewing, and and I think that. Uh, you know that that's that is going to be like right around the corner where everywhere you go you're going to be you know able to just kind of look at things and uh and, and have additional information that's catered to you know your settings etc uh that that'll be available to you but you know as you're just walking around well then there's another thing um the guy that created um i forget his name but they've been working on applying metadata to the world of things so there will be metadata put on real-world objects, everything from trees to grass to just everything. So basically, imagine having an AR headset and you could you know, pull up information on basically everything that's in the physical world. So that would be handy, say, for instance, if you're and you need to get an instant blueprint of, uh, and you know, when the, you know, the whole structure and you get need a you know a, a floor a map of of the entire place and you need to know where possible the fire might have come from you know all kinds of information maybe there will be smart pipes that'll be able to give them feedback and you know give them a running history of where the fire first started and which would be the safest place to go and and if there's tanks down there that might explode or maybe you're a factory owner and um you know i hear about um there's IBM. They got this Watson program. So basically, the the plant, um, if if you if your plant is hooked up to the Watson system, basically the plant will let it know that there's a part that's about to go down, and it's going to pre-order everything automatically, and and organ and uh, hire the um, the right person to install that part um, ahead of time. So it's going to be able to maintain itself. But I can see this information kind of getting mixed into mixed reality, and I'm seeing companies using VR, for instance, for training purposes. 
Because it's safer? Oh, yeah. yeah. For like medical uh, things and such? or Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or the stuff I'm interested in, and that is history. Like, I went into one experience, which was actually exploring the Titanic. And uh, that was really kind of fascinating to be able to walk along the Titanic and be in there and go into the ballroom. And and then, of course, they had like a, a movie screen up there and you could watch a documentary about the Titanic and interact with stuff. And That's some infinite learning potential there. Yeah. And visiting so. potential. Uh, they've done, um, I think there was even some studies done on the effect of sort of, I don't want to say imagining, but but kind of like that because you can like, sit in your um like a, a chair and like a recliner and imagine that you're in a fast car going fast and some of the same um areas will be activated as actually going in a fast car so it's it's interesting for that crossover experience because i mean we have things like in uh, japan i believe they they actually don't have well certain areas anyway uh there's there's lacking of <clears throat> nature inside certain cities to the point where they've like uh constructed uh, like paper statues and uh, just art installations to imitate uh, nature. And so little things like that that kids are being deprived of um, that could potentially be implemented through technology and especially once VR gets cheaper and better because currently it seems like all the major VR headsets uh, that are out on the market anyway for the average individual are not so good. But then again, what are we using it for? Um, yeah. For games, yeah, they're not necessarily good yet, but as you guys are mentioning, social is a big thing, uh, and uh, it seems like that's the one that is actually being used currently. Like Second Life, for instance, uh, just to have kind of an example uh, of a parallel, uh, you may not use it yourselves or may not think that other people do, but there's, there's a lot of people still using Second Life and doing like having lives and personalities and alter egos and everything uh, very deeply so on Second Life. And uh, what I've been seeing VR used for successfully so far is for like social hangout groups where all you are is just like a floating, you know, anime like not even an anime head but like that uh xbox uh avatar you know just like a really simple cartoony head and that's all you are but you can like meet with people and sort of be with them in person in a way which is is, is a powerful thing so it's interesting that that's how it's developing currently well it's kind of funny how you mentioned uh second life because um second life has already been working on developing their successor and it's called sansar that's s-a-n-s-a-r and uh, basically, it's a completely immersive virtual reality experience. And uh, I got tipped off about that because I was talking to one of the developers and I was talking about my, that I do photogrammetry and my interest in history and creating, you know, completely, you know, um, accurate renderings of actual historic places and buildings and architecture and stuff. And this is the kind of thing they're going for. They're going for, you know, photorealistic, uh, fully immersive experiences. So. And that's going to be the successor to uh, their second life. So we're going to be able to go and see the Great Pyramids, and they will be the actual renders of the Great Pyramids, and uh, be able to go on field trips. And uh, I don't know, the education and social experiences are going to just be amazing. Is there anything? But, uh, oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I was just going to say that, like, right now, like, when I, the big thing that I wanted to learn going to the conference was, because I've been looking for, um, you know, creating a social space for our patrons and for the people that follow us, and I wanted, because I've been using VR for a while now, and I've, I've seen, um, I've seen all the, all the advantages and just, I don't know, how, how much fun it is to actually you know, go into a virtual world and socialize. It's you're, you've got the sense of presence when you go in VR that you can't get through just purely just text chat. So um, I wanted to see if there was any platforms that were that I could that we could use as a jumping point to to, to do that. So I saw their strengths and their and their their weaknesses. So one of them was high fidelity. I really liked high fidelity. Their concept is that, but the problem with high fidelity is your own computer becomes the server. So unless you have like a high, you know, like a high speed uh, internet connection, it's hard to be able to serve up, especially if, if you have a lot of people connecting to your server. So bandwidth was the issue, especially for me, at least right now. 
So I had to strike high fidelity off. Then I went to old space. Now old space is great, but it's uh, their thing isn't the b bandwidth issue. Their their issue is being able to come up with the tools that um, so that people can create their own custom worlds. And it's more of a kind of like a canned experience. It's um, all the worlds in there will look like old space. So I didn't want that. I wanted something that would be, you know, modeled more towards Honey Badger Brigade. And then I eventually settled on VR chat because it uses the Unity engine. And the Unity engine is used for, you know, that's what they've been. It's the Unity engine and the Unreal engine. Those are the two main engines that are being used right now for creating, uh, you know, virtual reality um, experiences, whether it's the online social stuff or it's um, games that you buy and you download onto your computer and then run them. So, um that means that if we create a space or we create stuff using the Unity engine, if we move on to, say, another platform, or we create our own, we can take the entire world and our assets with us and be able to host it ourselves or um, provide it as a, you know, a, a, a kind of a whole kind of a game experience that we can provide to our users. And they can maybe build onto it or whatever, like Minecraft or whatever. So, I mean... My interest is to kind of create an ecosystem and, and allow people to be able to, you know, have like um, the ability to be able to do like, say, screenings of films or movies or whatever and not worry about people pulling fire, you know, alarms or having bomb threats, you know, um, or places where we can exchange our own uh, artistic stuff. I mean, the, the sky's the limit, so. So right now I've been just working in VR chat, building avatars, learning the whole system, and building some experimental worlds to test it all out and learn it. So. Mm -hmm. That's interesting uh, because uh, especially once it becomes more affordable, def people definitely want to be able to connect and uh, forego the cost of physically flying places. Uh, but of course, uh, some people might raise the question of will that eliminate people's need to get together? And it's like, I don't know if it will necessarily, but it, it may certainly alleviate uh, an issue that you know exists. Actually, I think it would augment it. Much like back in the early days, say the 90s, when everybody got hooked to IRC, and they started meeting each other, you know, people from other cities that they, total strangers, you know, the dating pool would increase. Um, and eventually those people, you know, met in real life. Mm -hmm. You know, they didn't just stop and just live through the computer. They actually were drawn to want to actually meet them in flesh and blood. Yeah, if so, it was a relationship that transcended that at all because some other people are perfectly fine just continuing to maintain it as a virtual thing yeah. and that's actually how they like it and uh, ability to be a little more present like you said there's definitely something there to to physically being uh not physically but i guess having a representation of your physical self uh next to other representations uh in fact when we watch like ghost in the shell or the anime or anything like that you do typically have representations of people in virtual reality where you like see their little avatars and they like talk business or shady dealings and they like log off into their different parts of the world and uh it's it's a very attractive concept on, on that front um so uh, i take it you didn't exactly jonathan find um that many options as of yet for you know what you were looking for uh, but at least you have sort of an idea of what you were going in there for and uh, I, I that is actually segueing really well into what i was going to ask earlier um of both of you and brian and you actually answered my question before i asked it uh, but uh, what about you brian what did you sort of uh, get out of the the convention or what did you go in there looking to experience well um i had never done vr before i, I knew about it you know and was this your first time? Not even once VR. It was my first time. Yeah, I was getting my VR cherry popped. Well, yeah, he was a virgin. And uh, I wanted, you know, it was my my first time. Really, like I knew about it, you know, and everything, but I hadn't actually done it. Mm -hmm. And I was going in specifically to experience it, but also to see what people were doing with it and try to think about all of the ways in which. Uh, it can be applied and where its potential was at. And I mean, pretty much everything that you and Jonathan have been saying, I agree with. I think that it has um, a lot of potential as a useful tool for people, you know, whether it's for uh, jobs, for entertainment, for leisure, for education. 
Uh, I think it has all of those things. The only thing, the only thing that I'm concerned with is the dark side of the same potential. It's just a tool, right? So, you know, it is a tool that is used to interact with um, data and it does it in a way that previous tools that we've had can, couldn't do it. You know, we've always tried to immerse ourselves more and more into a medium. You know, we, we went from uh, stories that were told, you know, that were just passed on verbally from person to person to the written language, to the print, to, you know, audio and radio, to film and so on, and better special effects, more immersion, video games, and how can we get, get deeper? And VR seems to be the, nat the next natural step. But like all of the things that preceded it, I think that there is something that concerns me. Uh, and this isn't something that is the fault of the medium. Like I realize that this is just the tool itself. But one thing that I cannot shake is this dreadful feeling. And it has, it has to do with the fact that one of the people that was speaking at the conference was this woman who was talking about the ways in which she would like to use virtual reality to tell stories and to enhance journalism. But when you look deeper at the stuff that she has in mind, it's actually quite terrifying because she's not, like all the stuff you guys were talking about, let's well, say you're, you, you're interested in going into, uh, you're, you wanna be a surgeon and then there is a, a, a program that can show you how to you know, do surgery in a safe, to simulate it in a safe place you know, where you're not hurting anyone or whatever. Or if someone was wanting to learn how to do, um, you want to do history and they wanted to go to different parts of the world, they want to do some virtual tourism or they wanted to learn about things as they were, whatever it is, provided that the, the people providing the service, providing the, the programs and everything are all working from the, the, um, the idea that the, the point is to be as factual and accurate as possible, that I think that, that is a completely healthy thing to do. The problem is, is that I have a concern that there are people who don't have those kinds of ends and they see this as a tool to push stuff that they believe in. Oh and yeah. Use this in a way that is actually quite nefarious. Uh, even if the person themselves thinks that they're totally right. So for example, I saw discussions about this years ago too. I remember um, Brianna Wu. Okay, you might know her from uh, Gamergate, and she uh, developed that game, Revolution 60, and um, she had taken an interest in virtual reality, and she comes from a lot of money. So she was able to, you know, um, with her connections and all the money she makes, she was able to pretty much, like, get her hands on this technology earlier than most. She was able to get involved with it, and the only thing she could think about is ways in which she can use the technology to more efficiently essentially, uh, I don't want to say brainwash like in some sort of conspiratorial way, but essentially lie to people. And you and I think that because VR can be something that um, can be really immersive, and for some people it can be an emotional experience too, it's actually quite, I think that it's it can be a really effective way of getting people to believe something that isn't true, to, to essentially um, spread misinformation. And that is on top of everything you guys had just said which i agree with and i'm i you know i'm on board with all the positives um those are the negatives and those are the things that i'm concerned with and i guess they're not really negatives because they don't truly exist but they're potential negatives like this one this woman who did a tedx talk she basically made uh she wants to make virtual experiences they look like video games, but they're not really interactive. So think of like Gone Home sort of, where you can look at things, but you're not actually doing much to influence the outcome of something. So she might have, she this woman who I'm talking about, I can't remember her name, it was uh, kind of long. I know it was like La Pena, some, na, na, Nani de La Pena. And she, um, she had one virtual experience game where you basically, uh, it was the story of Trayvon Martin. And it was done in such a way that it was spinning. It was spinning a narrative. It wasn't really like telling the story in a positive, in a in, I would say positive, but in a factual light. It was basically saying the story she wanted to tell. And if you think about that, she also wanted to talk about things like uh, online harassment, specifically towards women. And she wanted to make virtual experiences that other people can put themselves into 
with the goal of selling them an idea, a belief that she holds that may not actually reflect reality. And I think that that's something that concerns me. I think yeah, that, and it's, it's difficult, difficult to deal with because yeah. what you're talking about is free speech in a absolutely illusion. Because it's like uh, you know we we had the development of uh, what's it called uh, you know every, everything from Photoshop to you know now they can they can synthesize any given person's speech. Oh, your 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 oh my my audio mess up. I can hear it. Oh. Okay, now now I hear you. Okay, just... yeah. So so the uh, so you can you can you know uh, the, our ability to uh, you know motion capture a person's face and, and create a character on on TV that is dead. Uh, you know all of these things allow for us to present um, things in a, in a dramatic way in an impactful way. We can create entirely like if you look at, I've got a friend on Facebook who's a compositor and, you know, and they go, uh, go through the background of all these different things where things that you just don't even really think of that would you, that, that they would alter at all, or even need to be altered. They do alter them because it, it gives a different feel to the setup of the scene and to the, you know, uh, the, uh, uh, the feeling of it. And so what you're talking about is a tremendous number of, of more, more and more powerful tools to present a certain feeling to people. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it, it doesn't come through consciously. It comes through in more of a subconscious level. And, uh, and so, yeah, there, you know, there always is kind of a, you know, uh, a, w when you have something that can so powerfully impact people, uh, there's, the, there's so much more, so much greater responsibility on each individual to, try to overcome our natural proclivities to, you know, trust our instincts, to follow our heart, to, you know, all of these different things that we're told throughout our life that are good things. And they are, you know, uh, on, on a certain level. And that is to go by, you know, our gut, but, you know, we, we've, we're already dealing with generations of people who their gut instincts are based upon the characters that they saw on TV and how they interacted, which yeah. is unlike reality. Uh, you know, people's whole ideas about the male and female dynamic, uh, you know, can come entirely from the media and the, and the television shows that they watched and all of that sort of programming and, and could be in their, their, their experience in their real life can be given not as much weight as their experience in their virtual life of just watching TV. And that's already, that's already been a longstanding problem, you know, where people just, they, they have this view of reality that, that is completely contradictory to their real world experience. Mm -hmm. and, and so, yeah, they, 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 we, we, you know, that's, that's go not going to get better. That's going to get worse as our tools get, uh, you know, more and more developed. And so, you know, you still, you, you, you can't go in there and say, oh, okay, well, let's just, this is, this was too powerful a tool. I mean, they would have done that with the newspaper, you know? And so, but there's still a matter of, you know, what, what minds are responsible enough to be able to recognize all the risks they're putting themselves in by exposing themselves to ever more powerful mediums and uh and i think that is a, a kind of a question that'll that'll have to be broached at some point because free speech and the maturity of a mind are are things that we already kind of separate we don't you know we don't necessarily want children to be exposed unless their parents are, are cool with it but we don't want to just automatically expose children to absolutely every kind of media and every idea and you know and, and things of that nature because their minds are not really capable of of doing as good a job of separating the truth from the falsehood uh, as a more mature mind. And so it's, yeah, as these things become further and, and you know, more and more powerful, it will take a, an ever more mature mind to be able to separate. And I, and I think we've already crossed that, that threshold. TV has already cro crossed the threshold, but you've got the people who, who they're, even as adults, their minds are not mature enough to really separate the truth from the falsehood. And what do we do about that? You know, you, we can't just go and say, oh, it doesn't matter that you're a, a uh, uh, an adult. You don't you don't get to uh, watch TV because you're not capable. No, of, no, uh, we, you, know, so would, you, you don't get to do yeah. that. You know? No, no, we, I, wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't call for that. But I, I think that. But it's still uh, difficult. I understand what you're yeah, saying. I agree with that. But I think that even like with say with television, uh, people can separate the fact that they're watching television and that they're watching say a fictional drama, even if it says something like you know this was based on real events. There's a difference between yeah, it's not immersive. Tell 
the difference between watching something that's intended for entertainment and going to school and getting educated on something. Yeah, but you're yeah. talking about a single reality. Not only can they choose to conflate those things and say, because that was the thing about with Gamergate. This was like from years ago, a couple of years back, where there was somebody who blew this whole thing wide open with the uh, Game Developers Conference a couple of years ago, where the central goal of the people that attended the GDC, which are not like, you know, mainstream game developers that for the most part are just looking to turn a profit, but people who instead are up to something a lot more uh, long reaching, where basically they were thinking games should be used as a tool of social justice to educate people. And so what we'll do is we'll use the fact that kids love games as a means to educate them on the ideas that we think are the most important. And that was their aim. And so, and that was actually messed up and, and scary back then because the, oh, yeah, it goes further back. I mean, they've been, yeah, uh, people sure. been pushing messages, messages to kids or to whoever based upon what they like since, you know, since there was uh, the possibility of any kind of media at all, since, since printed word was, was even possible. Yeah. And so yeah, it's not, it's not a new problem. It's just become no. a more potent problem. It's a, exactly. Like as we move forward, like one could like, you know, um, I would get on board with the idea that, you know, we've already debunked. Uh, studies that have tried to sh say show that you know playing video games that have sexualized women will cause you to be a misogynist towards women which we, we already know is not true just as playing video games that have violence will not make you more violent it will at the most it may um, make you like less um, uh, what is it uh, more sort of um, inert to it like where it doesn't affect you as much, but there is still, that's still not necessarily true. However, when you disguise entertainment as education, I think that's where it becomes um, a problem potentially. And again, I'm, I'm all for free speech. I'm not saying that this should not be allowed. What I'm saying is, is that if this is going to be the direction that our technology is going, and it's more important than ever that more uh, people are able to essentially create more voices so that the, the the people who are looking to essentially do what, what you know, the, the old saying about with art is art uses lies to tell the truth. Um, but what these people are doing is they're using a form of the truth in order to tell lies. And they're doing it under the guise of education. It's sort of like how people assume that because a film is called a documentary, it's factual when in many cases documentaries leave things out because the people who make them have they have something that they're trying to sell at the end of the day and it takes somebody who's relatively steadfast and aware in order to challenge that but sometimes um i think that you need more people involved with the actual media making itself that will keep this sort of thing in check because i think that um, the, the thought that an ideologue can have control over VR and then use it on kids in school to teach them what they want them to believe, considering how colleges are now, is a bit, it's a bit harrowing. To say the least. Yeah, it, oh, it, oh, I just have to say something. Down to is this, you need, need to make sure that that there's multiple communicators who are giving alternative voices, and that you don't have just one group of people yeah. with various ends in utter control and dominant in that media. And so it's just, yeah. you need to make sure there's plenty of voices in that media. Mm -hmm. Like, like I just have to say, given that what we now know that we didn't know at the time when Twitter came into existence and YouTube became this hot thing and, you know, all these, you know, social and sharing platforms got created. We didn't know all the crap that was going to come out after all that stuff, you know, the doxing and the shadow banning and just the social justice using, using it for, for spreading their misinformation and all that kind of stuff. We didn't know any of that stuff, but now knowing this stuff and this new emerging platform coming out, I think it would be a big mistake that we don't play at the game as well, that we just let those people exploit it and that we don't add our voice to the table. So I think it's very important for our groups to be able to have a say as well, because I don't want there to be where 
at high school, whatever, they put people into VR experiences where you become a, a girl, a young girl, and you're walking down home in a dark street, and it's scary and terrifying, and, and you can kind of glimpse that there's something stalking you and that you're going to be raped. I don't want this thing where this it's a guy wearing a, t a shirt that has video games on it. Oh, my <laughs> God. Yeah. But you come home and you have this experience, like the feeling of what it would be like, according to them, being a young girl, being scared of everything around you, and that you're going to be raped. Mm -hmm. yeah. Or that you're going to be uh, you know, like harassed or raped by a certain particular yeah. kind of individual that they always portray as the as the uh, nefarious kind. Like, uh, yeah. it's, it's the, and now, one of the things that they, they, uh, Brian covered earlier is like, oh, well, we know the difference between just watching a TV show and, watch, and uh, you know, and, and reality. And that's true on a specific, uh, particular level. But when you talk about a general overview of reality, when you're when you're not thinking of things at a very like I'm talking about this one particular movie and this one particular, but when conclusions instead it's, about reality, it's, really. it's your conclusions about a, a million little events that you don't necessarily really think about. Like when you people watch turn TV, a blind eye to the fact that there's yeah. homeless guys yeah. and men are suffering because their ideas from everywhere are like, well, women are hurt by things. Women women suffer more. So yeah, that's where's that idea comes from? Because from a thousand yeah. times hearing the same story, yeah, and, that's, exactly. and so the, and, and so it's not even one particular. You know, you you may realize when you're watching a show that it's that stories, is yeah, just one story. But humans. when you watch stories after stories after stories and, and and tens of thousands of them, your your actual as a human being, the way that you build memories and and understandings about reality are based upon your experiences, and those yeah. become an aggregate experience. And so yeah. they, I. I, and I, this is from my own personal uh, experience. I know that there were ideas I had when I was first, you know, when I was a, when I was a young adult that that I did not realize were completely wrong about the way that humans interact and the way that humans work. And it was, and, and it only later on I realized where those ideas even came from, and they came from TV. Uh, and so it's like it's, there's there's a uh, there's kind of an aggregate aggregate of experiences like oh like one of the, the yeah, recent things that people don't pick up on is now is thing. now how russian people if for the past 10 years every bad guy in every show that you ever watch is is a russian guy and then and then one of the ways that you that you can identify a bad guy in one any television show is if he's wearing a muscle shirt that's you know instantaneously that's a bad guy and so these yeah. are these stereotypes of how you know who is a bad guy white what hat uniform black is hat. <laughs> exactly what their uniform yeah. is how to identify them that come so automatically to mind you don't realize you were taught them and that's yeah. the thing is you just say, oh, I see this person. And I figure they're probably a bad guy. Now, why do you figure that? Do you have any real actual personal experience? No, but you get 10,000 fake experiences that all tell you the exact same thing. They speak with one voice. A guy in a muscle shirt is somebody that you shouldn't trust and is probably up to no good. But have you had that personal experience? He's oh, violent. Yeah. He's going to beat you up in an alley. Right. <laughs> have you had that personal money. No, You haven't really. And if you were, were asked about it directly and consciously, that it's like, oh no, it's just a guy on TV. Of course, I don't necessarily believe that. And so there's these these things that that slip in, and that's kind of, you know, as we go into these more and more powerful mediums, the more they are going to act on our animal, you know, ways of learning, the ways that we, you know, categorize experience itself. Because once it's virtual reality, it is it is to every part of your brain a real experience at that point. And so well, it's not even it's not even flat anymore. It's not even it just in one place. It is you experiencing it. And so the the i the how much you will get as an aggregate of your personal experiences will definitely have more of a subconscious kind of effect where it just you're taught lessons you don't you know you're being taught well think of it this way think of it this way you could probably remember without even paying attention pretty much what you did today can't you and you didn't go and set out and try to memorize it like you had to memorize what you did for the day because we learn best through experiences. So imagine if you have like a, uh, an idea or a story that you want to tell that people have to believe in. The best way to do it is through experiences. You just experience it once and it'll stick a lot better than watching 20 of the same kind of experiences through just a straight film on the screen or reading it in a book. It's one more yeah, level. So, so it is you know. going to definitely be a very powerful medium. And there were there are questions that yeah, we're bringing up now that, that, that will, you know, do yeah. need to be 
Yeah, they, they got to be addressed. And that's kind of, that's what science fiction has been doing for a long period of time. It's, yeah. it's kind of, you know, saying, hey, guys, let's make sure we consider this. So when it rolls around, we know exactly what's happening. You know, so you've got all these things where we discussed, you know, the the horrors of, of technologies in, in here and there as, as these warning stories. But at the same time, I'm also afraid that, and, and here's where I'm, I, I know we got to kind of wrap up fairly soon here. And so I don't want to diverge Wait, we'll too much. We'll go take it to the after show for the Patreon. But yeah, is the idea uh, in AI, we've been going on for so long about all the possible ways in which AI could go wrong that people have in general become afraid of it. And then, so the same thing happens anytime that we got, that we've got these new technologies, they certainly have dangerous things we need to ch check out. We, they, we, they certainly need to be addressed. We need to be aware of them. But then if we focus so much on those, then we end up fearing it. And, and a lot of times that fear can end up being a uh, self-fulfilling prophecy, as I think is part of what's going on with the development of AI, is that people are so scared of creating an AI that will, uh, that I, you know, a, uh, an intuitive and like, you know, a, a strong AI that will that will hate humanity that they're wanting to make sure that okay well we got to make sure to put it in a box and basically torture it uh you know and and try to half lobotomize it and uh and and that way it won't hate us you know that it's really not the best idea that you know perhaps instead no. what we need is is our our ai to go past the whole dumb animal phase that we've had to go through slowly and it just warp right straight through it to like the fucking zen monk version of consciousness you know <laughs> it's let's make sure that we don't get it stuck in that halfway between point that that humanity's been going through for a real long time you know so one last thing the thing is technology you know people have always tried to slow down or stop technology but it just keeps rolling forward i think the worst response that we could ever have knowing that ai is already here it's just not in the mainstream yet the general public isn't using it yet is to fear it because it's already being developed and it's already being employed into big business government and all those systems they already have it yeah, well, it's and not it's the only ones that it's have not it. AI. It, but it is, no. it is a type of AI that is uh, people for years have been hearing about AI as this this broken, half-assed, you know, uh, thing. But since the since the development of neural networks, it is a totally different animal now. And that's and that's what people are not getting is it is it is now it's it's about to be fucking here a conscious. Uh, you know, a, a conscious thinking, self-aware machine is just barely over the horizon. We're talking about definitely within our, our lifetimes. And that has been a reality that nobody's been willing to face because, you know, for the longest time they thought it was going to happen quickly, but the way they were going about it was completely wrong. It was just totally wrong. And now we're doing it a totally different way. It is radically different when, when you go from, you know, our the, the programmatic linear type of development of AI, of the weak AIs of yesteryear to, to the neural networks uh, of today. It is just just completely a different thing and people well, don't what, understand how how vast of a difference and how exponential the the growth rate is now at at this moment what i'm saying is for what i'm saying is knowing this right now is i think it would be a, a big mistake for the general public to try to kind of reject it because it's coming regardless and i think the best thing you could do for ar ai is to actually have the general public to start you know working with it because that's where innovation happens it happened with say youtube youtube was just a place to show videos and stuff like that but it was the users that innovated and actually turned it into a profitable thing and now people are basing their careers on you know putting stuff on youtube so it needs to get into the hands technology needs to get to the hands of the general public so the general public can help steer it in the direction that's beneficial for for the general public for humanity as a whole and not just sit in the laboratories or big business or or uh, the government it has to also get into the general public to use yeah and uh, making sure that the general public has access to the uh to all that's going on in ai is something that's that i think is very important so that we can so we can yeah. have different development paths different personalities for whenever a conscious ai does tend to you know start to develop if we end up creating a super intelligence, we don't want it to be just one of them, just in case that one of them no. uh, is pissed off about all the stupid shit we did to it. It's uh, going to be open know. source. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, we need we need a lot of them to all develop simultaneously and you know independently, and it's uh, yeah. it's it's really going to be something that's important for our, our, our survival, I think. But uh, hey, um, I, I posted a link there for uh, apparently there was a um, when it comes to going back to the displays and the VR displays and stuff like that. There was a uh, a VR company that uh, that you know did the, the personal displays. Systems for uh, Northrop Gun uh, uh, Grunman. Uh, I, I can't pronounce that worth a shit. Uh, and uh, and so they, you know military contract stuff. And uh, apparently, so they do they do have the retinal display technology. Uh, they just have like a special kind of terminology around it. It's uh, the Microvision um, uh, company is apparently who who's been pioneering it. And I, I dropped a link there, so we ought to put that in the low bar as well. And I think you'd like to check that out uh, for because yeah, I don't know if they, if they had it looks it, like they've. They've worked a lot on miniaturizing it, so it looks like it's pretty much almost there to hit the the consumer market. Oh yeah, yeah. I think that they're that's the direction they're headed now. If you look at their uh, their website, they're you know trying to, they're going from being you know military contractors. A lot of times they're just like their websites are just nuts and bolts, and here's the the the, the bare facts. And then you can see when they're starting to get into uh, you know the the consumer market because it starts looking their their website starts starts looking sleek and user friendly, you know, user friendly <laughs> and pretty. It starts starts getting prettied up instead of being a, a hunk of metal that uh, like uh, I've got a, an, another one where I'm, I can see. That they're still in the uh, development phase. I was looking at, you know, the HIT lab where they're they're also doing their researchers in the same thing, and it's their website is just so horrible. It's com such a complete just science and nothing but that, no frills, you yeah. know, kind of website. Well, do check out the Meta Two. Check out the uh, TED Talk that uh, the founder Maron uh, Gribitz or whatever did on it. That was the thing that kind of sold me on it, but. Oh yeah, I, I, I peeked at it real quick, and it looks pretty neat because you basically just have a, a semi-reflective uh, screen that kind of uh, surrounds your vision that you look through, and then it just projects onto uh, onto the screen. So that's you know that's that's you know uh, pretty cool. Yeah, so we can I, check out that and yeah. uh, uh, other VR things um, in like uh, videos and such. Uh, we can definitely do that in the after show where we don't have to worry about. Uh, yeah. Twenty-second rule, uh, but yeah, thank you very much, guys, for stopping by and and talking to us about your impressions from the the VR conference. And uh, it's it's always good to hear from the the feet and the eyes on the ground, yeah. uh, you know, keeping up with the latest. Uh, and thanks for taking the time to do it. Yeah, and um, yeah, appreciate it, guys. So thanks so much, uh, everyone, also for tuning in and uh, all of our listeners as well. And we will see you guys uh, next time. Same cherry time, same cherry channel, uh, which means unpredictably sometime soon. Uh, so, uh, thanks.